Your financial mission, should you choose to accept it, is to achieve financial clarity. New Intel suggests that bad financial actors are constantly filling the landscape with misinformation and other barriers and obstacles, leaving you with limited time to make the right choices for a successful financial future. To make things easier, we've chosen your team for you. Financial Commander Janine Theus will help lead you to success. As always, should you avoid the excellent guidance you're about to receive, you'll be disavowed. Also, this message will self-destruct in three seconds. Three, two, one. Another great podcast in store for you here on Your Financial Mission. Thanks so much for taking some time out to join us once again here on the program. I'm Walter Storholt. I'm just here to try and provide a little comedic relief every once in a while and see if I can get Janine kind of up on her soapbox and, you know, perturb her a little bit so she'll get really passionate about, you know, a particular topic. I'm successful every once in a while, right, Janine? Oh, yeah, I love it, Walter. <laughs> I've got a feeling we'll get her rolling on a few different things on today's podcast, so it's going to be fun. Uh, if you're new to the program, Janine's the CEO and founder of Theus Wealth Advisors, your financial commander, as we like to call her, because of her military background, in Columbia and serving you throughout Howard County and beyond. You can find us online by going to theuswealthadvisors.com. Check out the blog, past podcast episodes there, lots of great resources there as well. Janine spent more than 21 years as a naval intelligence officer, and she brings that same wit and that same determination and all those other great adjectives I could probably think of to give you the straight skinny on your financial plan. And so on today's show, we're going to do a couple of different things. We're going to talk about fuzzy math. Are you a victim of fuzzy math in your retirement planning. A lot of us tend to fudge the numbers a little bit, Janine, when it comes to our plans, and it ends up putting us in a bad spot. So we'll see if that's the case with your plan. We're also going to answer some of your questions here in just a moment, and we're going to have a little fun today on a new segment that we call Getting to Know You, where we'll just take a quick sidestep from all the financial talk and get to know Janine a little bit better on today's show. All of that straight ahead, but we'll start things off by opening up the mailbag. It's time for the mailbag. We want to hear from you. This is our chance to ask Janine your questions. And our first one of the week comes to us from Hans. Hans has a good question for you, Janine. I bet everybody named Hans, who then, you know, somebody jokes about their name, gets really oh, yeah. upset. Because sure. then they have to, they, he has to have a partner, you know, Franz. Right, right. Because that's exactly. what everybody knows. Yeah, sorry, Hans. <laughs> Rolling your eyes as you listen to this. Hans says, I hate having money in the bank because it's not earning enough interest every month to even buy me a cheeseburger from the value menu. For the money that I've earned as my emergency fund, is there something better I can do with it? Well, Hans, the whole point of having an emergency fund is immediate access. So whether it can buy you a cheeseburger or an apple pie, you know, keeping some money in the bank as a cushion for emergencies is actually a good idea and it doesn't matter whether it can earn an interest or not. That's not the point of the account. Depending on if you're a business owner, if you're a business owner, you want to have money set aside to pay taxes, you know, that are due. Or even if you're not a business owner, you might have a little bit of a cushion just in case you owe taxes because you didn't file your W-4s right. But yeah, it doesn't matter that it's not earning interest. Unless you're talking about 100, 200,000, 50,000, something like that. What is your, I call it an emotional cushion for an emergency fund? And if it's 10,000, 20,000, 50,000, you have to decide what that number is, and you shouldn't care if it earns an interest rate. It's for a specific purpose. 
The rest of the money, we could talk about, you know, what it should be earning. And the thing to remember is once you go over 59 and a half, all your money is liquid, liquidity, because you've heard, I'm sure that you're supposed to keep six months of money in reserves. Well, once you go over that magic number, 59 and a half, all of your money is liquid. It just matters what you're going to pay for it to access it. So for the purposes of an emergency fund, it needs to be immediately available. So I'm not worried. Yeah, if you think you have too much in there, you can classify some of those dollars a little bit differently. And yeah, then maybe you can move it to a location other than the bank. But if it's got that earmark as an emergency fund, then you got to keep it where you can get your hands on it. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Good question, Hans. Thank you for that one. Uh, Bridget has another question on the mailbag. Bridget says, a friend, we've had a lot of these lately, a friend, a buddy, my brother-in-law, so-and-so was telling me the other day. We've had a lot of those. Uh, Very common. A friend was telling me, says Bridget, that, and I'm not even sure how to pronounce this, she says, it's a fiduciary rule, or as I've heard it put by some folks down in the Pensacola area, fiduciary rule. Um, That's deep south. The deep south. (laughs) The fiduciary rule has really changed the rules for financial advisors. This is what somebody told her. My husband and I will be in the market for an advisor soon as we're approaching retirement. What do we need to know about this rule? Well, thanks, Bridget, for that question, because there have been a lot of changes in the last year and a half on the fiduciary rule. And it was originally a rule that was passed. It was called the DOL rule, Department of Labor rule that under the Obama administration, they were pushing those working at banks, insurance companies, and brokerage firms to be more like what a fee-based advisor is, such as myself. I'm a registered investment advisory firm, and I'm an independent advisor under that firm. And by the ruling and the law, we are considered fiduciaries. And a fiduciary, by definition, has the client's best interest first. So all of the planning needs to revolve around what your goals are, dreams are, what we're trying to accomplish, what problems are we trying to solve, rather than you being sold a product because it benefits the insurance person, the brokerage person, or the bank person. So the fiduciary standard, the DOL ruling was originally trying to apply that fiduciary standard to those people. Well, the rule was not very well written at all. So they've now done away completely with that rule. So we've gone back to the way things were. And the fiduciary is normally an investment advisor representative who works for an RIA, which is a fee-based planner. Typically, CFPs are supposed to be fiduciaries or others that work under a fee-based arrangement. And again, the fiduciary has the client's best interest first or places the client's best interest first. So when you're looking for an advisor talking with someone, that's what you're looking for instead of just commission-based, because there can be a conflict of interest when it comes to solely commission-based. Now, they're not all conflicts, but you have to consider, is it holistic planning so that you are solving your problem and not the salesperson's problem? Yeah, that's a really good point. And I think something to keep in mind there, Bridget, is you do want to work with somebody who's a fiduciary, but just because they're a fiduciary doesn't mean they're still going to be a great fit for your particular situation. You still want to make sure that you're working with an advisor that's, they may have your best interest in mind by the definition, but are they still a good personality fit and kind of all the other specialties to consider and all the other moving parts that we talk about here on the podcast all the time. 
Uh, if you've got questions like Hans and, and Bridget had on today's show, we invite you to go to theuswealthadvisors.com. You can submit questions right there on the website in a couple of different ways. Just look for the different contact buttons or the ask a question buttons. Theuswealthadvisors.com, your place to go. You can also call Janine directly if you've got questions at 443-718-6311. That's 443-718-6311. That's what's happening this week on The Mailbag. It's getting to know you time. Well, that sound means it's time to play Getting to Know You, where we take a quick sidestep from all the financial talk to get to know Janine a little bit better, your financial commander here on the podcast each week. And curious question for you this time around, Janine. Outside of the financial world, is there an area or discipline that you'd consider yourself to be an expert in? Well, there are certainly a couple of areas I've had a lot of experience in before coming into the financial services industry. So I think you've mentioned in a couple places that my previous life, I spent 20 some years as a naval intelligence officer. So handling classified material, I know a good deal about what's legal, what's not. (laughs) And when I look at geopolitics, I have a different take on a lot of it. History, I'm a history buff. So looking at you know, current political situations or even geopolitics in the world, I tend to view it a little bit differently because I've actually seen some of the inside scoop or lived through it. And so in that respect, it gives me a different perspective on the world than many people who maybe have never lived outside of Maryland or maybe they've traveled the world but never done things like that. Um, The military does give you a very, I think, comprehensive experience in terms of dealing with people, managing major projects and events, planning, things like that. So it's just a great experience and you bring it to whatever you do after that. And so I would say that, you know, from the standpoint of managing large operations, managing people, well, you lead people, you manage things. That's always been uh, something I've kind of lived by, but it brings a lot even to raising a family. I had somebody tell me, you've got four kids so that you have four PhDs and anybody who has more than one child knows. (laughs) (laughs) Every kid is different. Yeah. (laughs) You know, you become a psychoanalyst (laughs) of a sort (laughs) in dealing with all of that. Um, I think one other area that I would say I was pretty good at is not so much in terms of nutrition, but physical fitness. I was a competitive runner for 35 years and swimmer and triathlete. And so I'm pretty good at rehab. (laughs) (laughs) After you get broken, how do you get back up there? Which which you'll be, Um, uh, you've got a lot of experience in that category, huh? Yeah, yeah. Um, And, you know, it's just, I've had a lot of, you know, if you're athletically inclined at all, you know, when you break down, the doctors get on you and I've had a lot of doctors say, I can't believe what you do, you know, based on all your surgeries. And I I go, because we have to keep moving. The body is meant to move. Therefore, if you stop moving, you're going to be toast. (laughs) So so part of that, I mean, I was a personal trainer as an avocation, if you will, because I just really enjoyed it. And so for years, for a number of years, I was a coach, swim coach, took kids to the nationals. And so I understand planning and taking people from where they are to where they want to be athletically. And so that does translate into the financial world is you're really taking people from where they are to where they want to be. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so what do we have to do to get to where you want to be? What problems are we trying to solve? 
you know, how much technique, body position, all that, what's involved? How do we get there? There are a lot of parallels when you're training physically to training in other areas. How are you bringing out the best in people? How are you impacting them, influencing them? I think it's, they're all related capabilities. For me, it was a, it was a really good fit coming into the industry. In fact, I came into the industry because one of my brothers who is an advisor has been an advisor for 30 some years told me, he goes, you would be really good about at this because you care about people and you understand basically training. So it's been a very simpatico decision <laughs> to, to work with people. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure in your experience as a leader, um, did you have to be kind of on the lookout for employees or, uh, I guess, service members who were maybe trying to use some fuzzy math to get out of, you know, doing their duties from time to time or maybe kind of operating under those wrong assumptions every once in a while? You know, absolutely. Uh, I think that's the case in any any large organization that you work in. There are always going to, we used to call them gold brickers guys that just didn't want to do their jobs, you know, <laughs> it's how they'd spin the story. And and you get a good sense for that. Um, after you've been in it for a while, you get a good sense, you know. Um, a lot of times, if you listen to your uh, gut feeling and experience, you know. And so then you also learn to deal with that and how to deal effectively with that. Yep. Well, I'm sure you see it in the financial world, too. And it's not always because maybe we're trying to be lazy or get out of doing a job. But sometimes we're just operating under the wrong assumptions by accident, even. Or we just get this thing in our head where we're kind of we're thinking we're doing the math right. And, and we're doing fuzzy math. I, I had this recently going through the sale of our of our current home. And as we were getting ready to buy a new home, um, you know, I was doing some fuzzy math when I was kind of estimating how much it was going to cost to replace the flooring. You know, I'm kind of going through going like, all right, so that looks to be about this many square feet. Eh, that's probably about this many square feet. Okay, well, I didn't measure the closets, but I would imagine that they'll be about that and blah, blah, blah. And I go to, you know, I'm like, okay, so this should be the quote that uh, that they come out with. And then the quote was way off from what I was anticipating it to be. And it was because my square footage guesses were way off. <laughs> Eyeballing it was not the, not the best approach to take there. Um, <laughs> so I was doing a little bit of fuzzy math. And we see that in the financial realm a lot of the times, too. One example would be when you hear somebody say something along the lines of, you know what, the mutual funds that I've got right now, you know, they've averaged 7% annual growth for the past five years. I can, I can see that in the data. That's what it tells me. And I'm perfectly happy with that return throughout my retirement. And I think a lot of people would agree with the latter part of that statement, but the problem is the, the fuzzy math that's kind of contained in the middle, right? Well, you, that's absolutely right. And what's really interesting is through the years, as I talk with folks, especially from their 401ks, if they bring in a statement of 403Bs, they didn't even look at what the average return is. Or sometimes they will and they go, they, I don't want to look at that. I always have to ask or qualify what exactly we're talking about here because your mutual fund may have averaged 7.5%, but what did the market do over the last five years? And people look at me, well, 7%. No, or the mutual fund might have done 7%. What did you do? The market for the last five years, if you're talking 2000, what, what are we talking about here? Uh, <laughs> 2013, sorry, 2013 to 2018, let's say, or 2012 to 2017. The market, and if you're talking about the S&P 5, actually did 13.8%. So how come you only got seven? Mm-hmm. What are we comparing? What are we looking at and asking the question about? Because a lot of folks are not accounting for the fees and costs that are internal to a mutual fund that subtract away from the return that the market gives you. 
And then on what side of the market are you playing? So to say I'm perfectly happy with that return throughout my, my retirement, well, there's no guaranteeing you're going to get a 7% every year. In fact, there's nothing that's linear now or in retirement. So if you're all, let's just say S&P 5, because that's what everybody knows. If we have another 2013, or I'm sorry, 20, 2008, are you okay with losing 37% or going down that far? That, so, no. that fuzzy math <laughs> needs to be tightened up a little bit because yeah. in retirement, you are not going to want to go there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So an easy example of how that 7% annual growth looks uh, good under a certain light, but not under all lights. And we have to remember that. And that's that. exactly right. And so you really do have to, um, you know, we have to explain exactly what are we talking about here. <laughs> right, Exactly. So that's a good one, a good example. Uh, I know we always seem to bring up Social Security at least once a podcast, so let's do it here as well. Um, you hear this kind of statement before, I'm sure. It's definitely best to wait until I'm 70 to start my Social Security so that I can get the biggest monthly amount possible. Now, it's probably better to hear that than the folks who are going to be on the other side of that equation and see, I, say, I can't wait to take Social Security as fast as possible. This ultimately is probably the better decision. But there's a little bit of fuzzy math taking place there, too. Well, that's right, because, yes, it is true. If you wait till 70, you will get the highest benefit you can possibly get. But does that make sense to wait till 70? Depends on whether you're going to continue to work. Is your spouse working? How much does your spouse make? Can she take, I mean, what is the age difference between you and your spouse? Uh, because that can affect whether you can uh, maximize the use of the spousal benefit and if you're going to wait till 70, where's your break-even point? And how long are you going to live? And I joke with everyone that's a, that comes in that talks about this. I say, if you can tell me when you're going to die, I can tell you when you should probably take Social Security. And even when you read the literature on the Social Security page, it will tell you that. It, it just, nobody knows that. So if we're trying to optimize all incomes, maybe 70 isn't the right age. Maybe 68 is. But it's going to depend. But obviously, you don't want to wait. You can't wait till after 70 anyway. But whether you should take earlier or not can, depends on your situation. And, you know, conversely, taking super early if you're still working isn't a good idea because there's an earnings test. So somewhere in there, we have to have find that happy medium. Uh, we also see fuzzy math happening here, Janine. I'm currently saving for retirement, let's say. But I won't need to do that once I'm actually retired. I won't need as much income in retirement as I do now, so I don't have to keep saving. Well, says who? <laughs> <laughs> now, here's an interesting conundrum that uh, once you that people face. Once you get into retirement, a lot of times you're so used to saving, it's hard to spend. A lot of people are very nervous about, okay, now we're in retirement and I can't take as much out of the savings pot, if you will. Um, you still do have to save, but the way you save is important. And the way you save is the properly allocated, globally diversified portfolio that's going to continue to grow to offset, you know, taxes and inflation, because you're going to need income for however many years you live and or how many years your spouse lives. So yes, you're still going to need that in retirement. Um, and yes, I'm going to maintain that you're probably going to need pretty close to the income you're making now in retirement, unless you're going to curb spending. Mm. And that's a whole other conversation. Yep. 
yep, another one for uh, later on down the road, but uh, a good one to have as well. All right, last but not least, and then we'll wrap things up for the week. Janine, are you a victim of doing fuzzy math when it comes to taking money out of your portfolio? Because a lot of people subscribe to that 4% rule. I can take 4% of my uh, portfolio out without ever running out of money. So I'll follow that rule and be fine. I mean, after all, how am I supposed to run out of money if I'm four percent sounds so small? How would that ever cause me to run out of money if I do that? Well, that's a little bit more reasonable than someone saying to me, um, "I've got this much money and I can take ten percent." Right? I went, "Right, <laughs> what? <laughs> no, you can't take ten percent out of a portfolio every year. Um, you four percent is not a bad or good." drawdown rate, it really is going to be dependent on the portfolio allocation. For a properly allocated portfolio, you will most likely be able to take 4%. But I can't say that for certain until I see what the portfolio is. Um, many people who are trying to just get dividends or they've gone to a, lot, a big bond exposure are not going to be able to take 4%. They will deplete the portfolio faster. In fact, a lot of people do run to safety once they've gone into retirement. And so the quip you've heard me say before is you'll go broke safely. Right. And so you're going to, you know, you're going to run right through that money within a 10 year period or sooner. And we have software that can demonstrate that and we can run through numbers so that people actually will see that it's very hard for a lot of people who don't think in numbers to see that. So, um, you, it, it always depends because it depends on, your um, how your portfolio performs over time, how diversified is it, and then what your actual withdrawal rate is ex- is going to be. Well, so I, obviously you help people put together plans like this, Janine. If I'm new to the podcast, new to this whole financial planning world, potentially, haven't ever really put together a plan, where's a good starting point? How, how can somebody go from, okay, I think I'm going to retire soon. I don't really know what to do. Where do I start? What do you say to them? Um, they need to Come in and have a conversation. Uh, it's what are we trying to accomplish? What problems are we trying to solve? Or are you trying to solve? And then, you know, is there a methodology to get you where you're trying to go? Um, and that usually requires an objective, comprehensive look at what are all the factors that affect retirement for you. And it is different for everyone. So coming in, having a conversation, and then deciding, okay, I really want to sit down and I want to do this and get this prepared. Um, that's a, that's big step for some people, other people, they finally realize it just makes sense and they've decided they can't do it anymore themselves because not the problem, but the, 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 the total planning is bigger than they thought it was. Yeah. Good points. And there you go. A great place to start conversation with Janine and the team at Theus Wealth Advisors. It's easy to get in touch. All you have to do is call 443-718-6311. That's 443-718-6311. Or you can find us online at theuswealthadvisors.com. That's theuswealthadvisors.com. Lots of information there on the page. You can read it on the blog. Check out the podcast site as well. Uh, Listen to past episodes. Lots of great information there. And, of course, you can set up that time to meet for a review of your plan with Janine and find out kind of where you are right now and what you need to do in the future. Set those objectives and uh, get on your financial mission, right? That's the name of the show. And uh, Janine will help help you solve all of that. 443-718-6311. Again, your number to call to set up a time to come in for a complimentary review of your plan. Janine, thanks as always for taking some time out on the podcast with us here. A fun one as always, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much, Walter. Talk to you soon. 
talk to you later. That's Janine Theus, CEO and founder of Theus Wealth Advisors. For Janine, I'm Walter. We'll talk to you next time on Your Financial Mission. Your Financial Mission.